quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. to Weekend Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks what else is happening in the world. I'm Essie Cup. Venice is sinking. That's been the old joke for decades, if not centuries, about the northern Italian city built on a group of islands in a lagoon just off the Adriatic Sea. The brackish water and the canals there has been famously rising, or rather the building foundations have been sinking, and the water is just as famously polluted. Over-tourism and a shrinking population have become increasingly dire problems for the historic port. The tide waters there rush in and out of the canals, and that makes it a volatile place. Agua Alta, what Venetians call high-water phenomenon, is a regular concern, and sirens alert tourists and locals when Agua Alta is coming so that they can plan accordingly. This month, though, was different. A torrential rain dump created the worst flooding in Venice since 1966. The Agualta on one day reached six feet, a whole very tall human being, above sea level. This catastrophic flooding has changed Venice in some very significant ways. Massive damage to cultural artifacts and places of import. Crypt and mosaics at Piazza San Marco and St. Mark's Basilica have been damaged. Greedy Palace was evacuated. Many famous restaurants and hotels remain closed. And officials are telling tourists not to come back until spring. Many are pointing to climate change as a reason for the historic flooding. And in a Fellini-like twist, the Veneto Regional Council was flooded for the first time ever, just after it rejected measures to combat climate change. All right, let's dig into this. Today, I'm joined by Scott McLean, CNN international correspondent. Scott, you have toured the damage since those floods. Um, what is it like there on the ground? Yeah, so honestly, I see, I've never or I had never been to Venice before, so I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know what this place looked like without this high tide or this aqua alta, as you say. Um, and so when you get there, if you've never been before, you take a boat from directly from the airport. You can take it right into the city of Venice, which obviously is on an island. And there's water everywhere. And so it's kind of hard to tell right off the bat what's flooded and what is the normal channel or the mm. normal canal that you're supposed to be in. When, when we got there, the water level was coming up. It was nighttime. And it is so, so bizarre because... Part of the city looks totally normal, and then you walk into some of these lower areas, and, you know, St. Mark's Square, granted, it's a pretty low bar. It floods at just 80 centimeters, so what's that, uh, two and a half feet maybe. Um, it, it was completely underwater, mm. and, you know, this happens from time to time because, you know, the high tide typically comes around 80 centimeters, that mark where 
the, the square starts to get wet. But, you know, I was warned about these hordes of tourists that you mentioned, yeah. you know, taking up all the space. And, 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 you know, my first impression is, where are they? There was barely anybody there for obvious reasons. And the people who were there were just sort of curious about this high water. So that was my first impression, at least. So, I mean, as you, you alluded, you know, whether you've been to Venice or 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 not, so much of the city is recognizable from movies and from from art. You mentioned St. Mark's, the canals, the gondolas, the, the bridges. Um, if I were to go, do you think I would recognize Venice today? Yeah, for sure you would. I mean, this is the bizarre thing about this type of flooding. I mean, I've, I've covered plenty of flooding before and you know, typically it's overland flooding or it's river flooding yeah. or flash flooding or, or what have you. But this is all tidal. And so it's really mm-hmm. strange because it, it comes in quickly and it leaves relatively quickly as well. And so, um, you know, th- that same square that I just described to you that was underwater, you know, one of the bizarre sites I've, I'd ever seen. We came back there the next morning and it was completely dry. Hmm. It was as if nothing had happened at all. The rest of the city looked completely normal as well, yeah. save for the fact that, you know, shops, uh, cafes, things like that were just starting to reopen. What's interesting is here is that, you know, the city is used to some amount of water. Yeah. You'll notice on some of the storefronts, there's these metal watertight gates that they can put up to deal with some level of flooding. This aqua altar, this high tide or high water that, that seems to come every year mm. is just in varying, you know, degrees of severity. And so, you know, storefronts are protected to some degree. The problem is when it reaches a certain level, it's either going to go over those barriers or it's just going to come up from the ground. I mean, yeah. as you said, Venice is built on a lagoon, so it'll come up through the ground. It'll come up through the plumbing. It'll find some way, you know, to get into a building. And it does. They Venetians consider anything over 140 centimeters, which I think is about four and a half feet or so. They consider that exceptional flooding. And just mm. in the past week or two, They've had that four separate times. They have these, this alarm system that goes off when it reaches 110 centimeters, so a little, uh, probably three and a half, four feet. Um, and, and you heard that constantly, all the time. I mean, when, it, when, the, when the tide shifts from low tide to high tide, it takes about six, and, six hours or so, typically, to, to get from low to high. You'll hear these, these alarms go off, this, this really strange ringing through the city. Yeah. And, Everybody there knows what that means. So you went to several landmarks, St. Mark's Basilica, Benedetto Marcello Conservatory. Tell us, tell us in, in a more detailed way what, what you saw. Yeah. So at the conservatory, we were lucky enough to get a, a tour from the president. And it was not what you would expect to see at a renowned music institution where they've you know, taught some of the, the top musicians out there in orchestras all around the world. What you saw was a flurry of activity of people scurrying around, taking these big stacks of really old and wet books. Mm. And there wasn't really much of a science to it. All they were doing is taking them from the bottom shelf of their bookshelves on the ground floor and taking them up to the second floor, what they call the first floor, and opening them up to, to try to, to dry them out. Now, the question that you might be asking is, why would you ever store books <laughs> right. on the ground floor in a city that floods all the time? Yeah. And I asked that question, and the answer is, well, keep in mind that this old palace, 
that this conservatory is built in, it's three, 400 years old, depending on the part of the building that you're in, it, you know, the, the first floor, the upper floor is beyond ground level. It may not be strong enough to support the weight mm. of all of these bookshelves. And so initially they thought that they had built it up high enough to avoid, you know, there ever being a problem. Clearly they were wrong. What's lucky, I suppose, is that, you know, they put their less valuable books on that bottom shelf. Still, though, we're talking about some manuscripts and music books that are like 100 years old in some cases. And so they were doing, you know, just sort of drying them out on the floor in some instances. And then the more valuable ones, they were actually packing up to, to ship away to this special place where they went and actually would, would freeze them, uh, which stops the degradation of the actual mm. pages um, or stops the corrosion of the pages so that they can be restored. The problem is, this conservatory spends a lot of money just upkeeping their really old building and obviously on their students and instructors as well. And so there's not a whole lot of money to go around to restore all these books. And so they're relying on private donations. This could take, though, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and, you know, in a place like Italy, where there's all kinds of buildings that constantly need, you know, donations to be restored and, and kept up, it may be a, a bit of a heavy lift. The other part of this is, you know, we went into St. Mark's Basilica. Have you been to Venice? I have not. I'm telling you, this place is stunning. I've seen a lot of old churches. This one is right up there. And I asked a dumb question to the board member of the church that uh, toured us around. I said, okay, so this place is named for St. Mark. Are we talking like Bible St. Mark, Matthew, Mm -hmm. Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writer? And and of course it is. But just, you know, in my North American brain, it's hard to wrap your head around anything being that old to go back that far to have right. a body that would inside that would be, you know, 2000 years old. The actual basilica itself is 900, 1000 years old, depending on the part of the building that you're actually in. So it's used to getting water, which is bizarre to hear for any church it's just used to flooding. There's sort of two parts to it. There's an outer atrium which floods more regularly when they get these high tides because, you know, the the square that it's on floods at 80 centimeters and maybe after it gets past a meter or maybe 110 centimeters or so, uh, that's when water will just go inside. There's really nothing that they can do to prevent it. They've actually installed a special drainage system, a one-way drainage system on that outer atrium, uh, which is all stone and tile to, so that the water will, will flush down but it won't come back up. Mm-hmm. The problem is, as I said, when it starts coming in the doorway, there's just nothing that you can do. What was rare about this flooding, though, is that you know, in the in the history of, of this basilica, the actual main part of the church, um, which again, I, I cannot say enough about how stunning it is inside. Um, they actually had about 10 centimeters of water, so what's that? Three, four inches of water on the floor in that basilica, they also had water in the crypt, which used to flood all the time until they made some renovations and changes to, to prevent that. The water ended up coming in a window and, and flooding these, um, you know, this really ancient burial ground. Years ago, they had actually moved the remains of, of St. Mark to under the altar, so it wasn't affected. But what's more interesting here, and I guess more concerning from the standpoint of the church is, I think the the board member told me, if I'm recalling correctly, that their annual budget is something like, you know, twelve and a half million euros per year. Mm. So just a little bit more than that when you convert it to U.S. dollars. 
and they have, I think, 50 or 60 staff members. It's a massive operation, and they're constantly working to, to uh, you know, upkeep the, the stone and, and, and the marble and the tiles and the mosaics because, obviously, they, they wear away over, the, over time. The flooding is really not helping it because it's bringing salt water in. And, yeah, okay, it's paddle flooding. It's only going to be there for a couple of hours, and then it'll go right back out, so no harm, no foul, except it, there is some real harm because the water might go, but the salt in that water actually gets in all of the nooks and crannies of the, of the marble and worse, gets in some of the bricks that are in behind a lot of the marble. And so that, that salt will actually stay in there and degrade the quality of the stone. And what was amazing is that it's not just, you know, the, the rock or the stone or the brick that you can see clearly would get wet in a flood. The salt actually may, manages to work its way up the wall. And so here I am standing in this church, and I'm looking down at the floor, and our tour guide, this board member, is pointing me up toward the ceiling and explaining where, you know, these golden tiles on this amazing mosaic ceiling are literally falling off of the walls because the salt has made its way all the way up to the ceiling. And so they've got to do something yeah. in order to prevent this from happening in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, having been to lots of places all over Europe, including, you know, Rome and Florence and, 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 and Paris, there's always this struggle How to find a balance. Bennett? How could you skip that? I know it just wasn't on my, it wasn't on my itinerary for those trips, but, but there is this struggle to retain, to find a balance between retaining the old, way older than, than, you know, Americans are used to ever encountering while right. coming up with these structural reinforcements and supports new technologies to keep these things alive, um, even if that means sort of bringing the new, the modern in. And that's, you know, that is uh, that's a struggle for these cultural for these cultural institutions and these landmarks to figure out that balance um, to that end, uh, you know, Venetian. Uh, officials have been trying to do something about this problem. And, and way back in the 80s, they came up with this barrier system. The the technical acronym is MOS, M-O-S-E. That's also the Italian way of saying Moses, who famously parted the sea. Um, what uh, what can you tell us about that uh, that system? Is it is it up and running? Is it close? Well, here's the thing. So the Italians pronounce it mose, and um, it, it's a barrier system, as you said, a hydraulic barrier system uh, that they actually have been talking about since the 1980s, and they got around to building uh, in the early 2000s. So essentially, Venice is lucky in that it's protected by a series of, of barrier islands. And the gaps in those islands, there's uh, four essentially gaps in those islands where they've built this barrier system underneath of the water and to, to block the high tide from coming in. So how it's supposed to work is essentially these barriers are, when, when they know that the high tide is coming or catastrophic high tide is coming, these barriers are supposed to fill with air and then they're supposed to, to rise up and form basically a watertight uh, barrier in these little inlets and then when it's over they'll fill back up with water and sink back down to the seabed where you can't see them and they're totally out of the way 
The problem is this project has been delayed by corruption and mismanagement mm-hmm. and scandal. It was 2014, actually, when the then mayor was arrested as part of this, this roundup. They spent billions of dollars to get the system up and running. And if you ask any Venetian, they will tell you, eh, I don't know if it'll get built. I don't know if it'll get done. Some, some question, even if it does get built, will it actually work? And so yeah. it is not difficult at all to find a Venetian to tell you that they are highly skeptical of this system. We actually got to interview the mayor. He doesn't speak English, but we interviewed him through my translator slash producer. And, and I asked him to respond to some of the skepticism. And he says, look, I, I am one of those skeptics. Hmm. Um, but the reality is, this is really our only chance. We kind of put all of our eggs in this one basket, yeah. and it needs to work. It, it's our best chance to, to save this city. And so they're banking on it being done. It's supposed to be done by 2021. For St. Mark's Basilica, it cannot come fast enough because, you know, I, I mentioned the wall in, in the basilica, but we're even talking more, uh, you know, engineering problems for them, whereas the salt water is degrading even the marble bases of some of their, you know, really ancient columns. We're talking about marble that would have been mined more than a thousand years ago um, that you can't get anymore from that quarry where it's come from. And so, they can replace it with something similar, but it won't be the original. And so these really, uh, you know, amazingly decorated or, or carved marble bases to these pillars are completely falling apart in some places. And so, especially when they're load bearing, how the heck do you then replace that, you know, uh, that base that might be holding thousands of pounds worth of weight above it? while still maintaining the structural integrity of of the actual basilica. And so they have many, many problems on their hands to try to just keep their, this church in working order, this mosaic system, it it cannot come soon enough. Well, and it sounds like, um, at least for the Veneto Regional Council, there's some skepticism among the political uh, officials there about climate change, but um, how are locals approaching that issue as, you know, a cause of impact? Yeah, I think that you'd be hard-pressed to find too many climate skeptics in, in Venice. I yeah. mean, you can, you can see, I mean, it's impossible to peg any one event to climate change because, right. you know, the record for flooding in Venice is actually back in 1966. And so it is impossible to say whether this round of flooding that I just witnessed is a result of climate change or total natural coincidence. In this case, it was a bit of a, you know, double whammy where they had this storm that was pushing through the wind direction was sort of pushing all of the, uh, the waves uh, toward Venice. And then obviously there was a full moon as well, which exacerbated the already high tides. But what they are seeing in Venice is that this high water seems to be getting more and more frequent. The yeah. 140 centimeter mark, it seems to be you know, getting hit more and more often. Um, I actually went while I was over there to Murano Island. If, so for those who've been to Venice, they've probably seen a lot of shops selling Murano glass. It's right. quite popular. Um, it, it's really amazing blown colored glass, um, you know, light fixtures, vases, or whatever. And so they make it on Murano Island, which is just a, a smidge north of, of Venice. And we actually went there for the last high tide that we were there for. 
And we were there to interview a, a glass blower, and we're literally talking to him while he's working in these crazy hot ovens, obviously. And his studio is literally filling up with water, and it comes quick. It yeah. is not like, you know, it doesn't take a whole day to fill up. We had been there at maybe 9 o'clock in the morning. We came back at around 11. And at 9, I, I kept thinking to myself, there's no way this place will be underwater. I, I, I'm, you know, there's just no way. It just seemed too high. And then all of a sudden, you know, at 11 or noon when we came back, sure enough, the whole place was underwater. So mm-hmm. he actually lost six separate ovens, specialized ovens for this glass blowing. And, and and it's not cheap. And so he said that, that his studio had only ever flooded um, two times before. Once was earlier in the same week, and then once was last year. Before that, he'd never had water. Um, and so he's now got this expensive repair bill, and he said, look, I don't have a lot of faith in the political establishment here and the political forces to actually build this Mose barrier system. But it's all that we have, really, yeah. because... If they do nothing, and if this trend continues, climate change or otherwise, if this trend continues, I'm not going to be able to have a studio here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to work here at all. He's you know, been working in the same place for like 30, 40 years. And so he's fully prepared for the reality that if they do nothing, he's going to have to move. Scott McLean, thank you so much for your reporting on this and for taking us really inside Inside Venice and inside this this crisis, um, I really feel like I was there. And one day, I promise you, Scott, I will go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Please. It's an amazing place. Try to, try to go when the tourists aren't there, maybe in the dead of winter. But I promise you, it is worth it. Thanks, Scott. And thank you for listening to this edition of Weekend Warriors. I'm S.E. Cup. Join us next time. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.